Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. I don't care what it would do for the ratings, Gavins. Kanye West will never be on this show. God, he's an ass. The following podcast contains... Only I didn't say fudge. And for gosh sake, watch your language. Watch your profanity. Right, I'm sorry. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you knew about a problem for 30 years and still didn't do anything to fix it, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is a Friday, October 12, 2018, the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Edition of the show where we get stoked for the end of it all. Stay tuned. The What the Hell You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Arnold's Apocalypse Palace. When the end is nigh, Arnold has you covered. Are you in the market for meals ready to eat, water purifiers, or solar generators? Looking for high-quality medical supplies, short-range radios, and long-gun ammunition? Or do you need an end-of-the-world bunko special? Everything you need to survive the end of days. Arnold's Apocalypse Palace is the only place to shop. From one-man quick shelters to an array of underground decommissioned nuclear missile silos, you can ride out the Armageddon in comfort and style. Act now and get a free desalinator with any purchase over $50,000. Just use the promo code DOOMED at checkout and save, save, save at Arnold's Apocalypse Palace. The planet isn't going anywhere. We are. We're going away. Pack your shit, folks. We're going away. And we won't leave much of a trace either. Thank God for that. Maybe a little styrofoam. Maybe little styrofoam. Planet will be here and we'll be long gone. Just another failed mutation. Just another closed-end biological mistake. An evolutionary cul-de-sac. The planet will shake us off like a bad case of fleas. A surface nuisance. In the summer of 1979, I was fairly certain the world was going to come to an end based on some very intensive research I'd been doing by barely watching the nightly news, which was a thing people did back in the 1970s. Not just they watched the nightly news, I just barely watched it because I was like, you know, 10. My research, though, informed me that a space station was about to come crashing into Earth at a dangerously reckless speed, and no one had any idea where it might land. There's still a chance that pieces of the Skylab space station will hit the Tidewater area tomorrow. This is Mike Deason reporting from Hampton, where NASA officials here are in direct contact with the Johnson Space Center in Houston. This is Skylab Control. Predicted in, uh, entry point for Skylab now is between 6, 6.02 a.m. Central Daylight Time on July 11th and 5.02 p.m. Central Daylight Time on the 11th. And NASA spokesman Maurice Parker says Tidewater is still in the path. 
yeah, that wasn't exactly true. It maybe was sort of true, but NASA was pretty sure they had it nailed down to the least populated portions of the planet. But that never stopped Americans from speculating that chunks of burning space debris might hit them. People even sold, I shit you not, special hard hats for people that were worried about being struck by falling chunks of Skylab. Now, me personally, I had a theory that Skylab was going to be far, far worse than what the shills and the lamestream media were telling us. I was convinced that Skylab was going to impact the planet so hard it would crack open like an egg and all the hot lava inside would boil out and kill us all. And I tried to explain this to my parents. I'm a scientist. You're a scientist. They were not impressed by my exhaustive research and by the factor that a 10-year-old believed in such incredulous bullshit. I wanted to point out to them that they believed in a magical sky wizard who brought people back from the dead, but I wasn't in the mood for an ass-whipping. So, I was left with only my younger cousins to do what was necessary to save humanity by digging a shelter for us all to hide in when the end came. So, we spent the early weeks of the long summer of 1979 gathering supplies, making detailed plans, surveying location, generally disaster prepping for the end of the goddamn world. And all of this preamble left us with very little time to do the actual digging of said shelter. So, when the, the day of Skylab fall came, we were frantically digging a hole in the side of a dirt bank outside my grandmother's house who was not at all happy with, quote, them boys digging up the side of that damn hill, they making a mess in my yard. Fortunately for everyone involved, Skylab landed pretty much exactly where NASA thought it would, mostly in the Indian Ocean and a few chunks in the outback, in the Australian outback, not the steakhouse, the actual uninhabited vast wasteland that is most of Australia, and it didn't crack the Earth's crust from the force of the impact. Wow, you guys really dodged a bullet. You know what's funny? That something else was happening in 1979. The United States National Research Council released a, poor, a report about carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which said, among other things, quote, when it is assumed that the CO2 content of the atmosphere is doubled and the statistical thermal equilibrium is achieved, the more realistic of the modeling efforts predict a global surface warming between 2 degrees C and 3.5 degrees C, with greater increases at high altitudes. Unquote. It goes on to say later in the report, quote, we have tried but have been unable to find any overlooked or underestimated physical effects that could reduce the currently estimated global warmings due to doublings of atmospheric CO2 to negligible support proportions or reverse them altogether. You know, you shouldn't worry about it. Now, this report is hardly the first time people noticed that we were putting an awful lot of carbon dioxide into the air and postulating that it might have a negative effect. The first documented hypothesis that humans were fucking up the planet came all the way back in 1896. I mean, the guy wasn't sure what the effect would be, he just thought that maybe it was bad. Nor was the science conclusive in the 1979 report, and the only reason I used it was the serendipity of it coming out at the exact same time as the hook that I needed to open the show with. By the time I graduated high school in 1987, 31 years ago, for you, those of you keeping score on the Dave's Death Calendar home game, available only to our Patreon subscribers at the $10 level, the consensus amongst scientists was clear. We are fucked. 
In June 1988, James E. Hansen made one of the first assessments that human-caused warming had already measurably affected global climate. After a world conference on changing atmosphere implications for global security gathered hundreds of scientists and others in Toronto, they concluded that the changes in the atmosphere due to human pollution represented a major threat to international security and are already having harmful consequences over many parts of the globe, and declared by 2005 the world should push its emissions some 20 cent, 20% below the 1988 level. You're well and truly fracked. Again, I would like to note this was three decades ago that scientists had proof of the problem and made a recommendation on how to keep the problem from escalating. It would be a disaster of epic proportions. Now, if this were a 1990s disaster movie with an alien invasion or a giant comet speeding for the Earth, you would think that we would have done something to stop all of this by immediately electing Morgan Freeman as president and letting him handle his business. Word. But I can also promise you this. Life will go on. But real life is not like the movies, and even though more and more people knew that we were fucking all our shit up, we continued to do nothing. In fact, for most of the early 2000s, Americans bought bigger and bigger cars that used more and more gas. Not that this was the biggest cause of climate change, but it was a uniquely American middle finger at the idea that we should even begin to consider the possibility of contemplating thinking about doing something on climate change. I mean, Al Gore made us a fucking movie and everything, and then Americans responded by going to war in the Middle East on the filmsiest of pretexts so we could get cheaper car from fuels to burn in our giant fucking cars because Fuck you, atmosphere, that's why. And am I being unnecessarily cruel to Americans here, even if we are the largest greenhouse polluter in the entire 20th century? It's not like we're the only country doing it. This is a global human problem, not an American problem, because stupid is a universal human trait. Word. By the mid-90s, the entire planet was getting warmer, and it was clear that human activity was the only reason for the steady increase of global temperature. Anyone with access to the data could and did make clear and compelling cases that now was the time for us to do something before the problem grew so large, so unimaginable, that the damage would be irreversible. So, uh, what did we do? Just ignore it. We'll go away. And most of us did. But ignoring wasn't enough for some people. Some people had to go one better. They had to deny that global warming, as we called it back then, was even a thing. Of uh, national attention, in, in, in case we have forgotten, because we keep hearing that 2014 has been the warmest year on record, I asked the chair, you know what this is? It's a snowball. And that's just from outside here. So it's very, very cold out, very unseasonal. So here, Mr. President, catch this. That was Senator James Inhofe from Oklahoma in 2015, three years ago. Now, Inhofe is an inveterate shithead with the wits of a dried turd and the integrity of a used car salesman, but he's but following in the footsteps of a long tradition of Republicans abjectly refusing to accept the swelting reality of fucking climate change. It's hardly a secret that all politicians are bought and paid for by corporate interests, but the GOP wears a fucking gimp suit for fossil fuel industries. Whenever the global thermostat creeps up another tenth of a degree, Exxon just shouts, Well, we got the gimp.
and dozens of Republican politicians unzip their mouths and stop dropping talking points from lobbyists. Funny thing is, Exxon knew about the problem going back as far as 1957. According to Inside Climate News, which sounds like it's a Facebook page created in Moscow, but is actually a credible news source, a company scientist for Exxon published an internal report in 1977 saying, quote, warned Exxon scientists and managers that independent researchers estimated a doubling of CO2 concentration in the atmosphere would increase the global temperature by 2 to 3 degrees Celsius, 4 to 5 degrees Fahrenheit, and as much as 10 degrees Celsius, 18 degrees Fahrenheit at the poles. Rainfall might get heavier in some regions, and others might turn to desert. Present thinking he wrote in 1978, and in 1978 something holds that man has a time window of 5 to 10 years before the need for hard decisions regarding changes in energy strategies might become critical, unquote. Would you, pod friends, like to guess what Exxon did with that particular information? They told the guy to bury it where no one can find it and denied to Congress and the public that they had ever even the slightest inkling that such a thing, even with his water true, which it isn't, was remotely possible. I know that even using this as a source will be loaded for some people, but those kind of people don't listen to this podcast, so it'll be fine. But Greenpeace has a timeline of all the activities of the oil companies going back decades compiled from reputable sources, including source documents leaked from the companies themselves that detail every action they took to prevent climate change science from being discussed and when the science did come out to discredit the research in public because it would adversely affect their profit margins if the people of Earth ever discovered that they were actively burning down the only house they had to live in while they were locked inside. It was a campaign of deceit and obfuscation and fraud so successful even the people who made cigarettes were like dude you can't do this and it was so incredibly efficient that climate change somehow got folded into god-fearing flag-waving gay-hating bible-thumping black people crushing american as apple pie conservatism as a foundational principle climate change is according to a large swath of americans a liberal lie concocted by the media to keep real americans from mining coal in the backyard or something hell there are people who purposely drive big ass trucks that shoot glouts of black smoke into the air just so they can own the fucking libs we're covering colorado first at six tonight it is illegal but people are still doing it it's called rolling coal that's when diesel truck owners modify their engines so they can intentionally blast out black smoke when barack obama was elected in 2008 he knew he needed to do something about climate change that drastic measures and major government interventions were the only real tools to tackle the problem as the free market sure as fuck wasn't interested in trading short-term marginal decreases in profit for major long-term survival of the human species. Their position was extremely clear. We're just going to take the money. Believe me, no one's going to get hurt. The problem was, of course, the entire economy would need to be restructured to affect the kind of change needed to do anything meaningful, and the Democrats were wearing their own gimp suits by that time. From a 2014 report, which you really should read, called The Ideology of Climate Change Denial in the United States, which is linked in the show notes, it says, quote, 
President Obama's chief of staff during his first two years in office urged the president not to spend political capital on climate bill because it did not appeal to the public and it would therefore be a non-starter in the Senate. That is partly the reason why President Obama decided to throw his political weight behind health care reform rather than cap and trade in his first term, unquote. So we got a half-assed health care bill and no climate bill whatsoever. Oh, don't worry. We got the Paris Climate Accords instead. And of course, we all know what happened to that in 2016 when the current occupant, which is how I've decided to avoid speaking that which shall not be named, was elected in part because of its opposition to the Paris Climate Accords, which were labeled as the last best hope for avoiding Armageddon. Because if that is the best you can do at this distance, we are finished. As it was not a treaty, but kind of a general agreement that all the signatories would, you know, try to do better. There's no enforcement me mechanism. It's just some general gentleman's agreement not to kill everyone on the planet, which the current occupant promptly flushed down the shitter months after taking office, which opened the doors for other countries' current occupant to do the same because if the United States couldn't be bothered to do even the least they could do, why in the world should they? As the occupant continues to roll back any kind of environmental regulations, we are effectively undoing the very little we've done in the first place to try and save the human species from the life of a hellscape and ri rising, soaring temperatures, raging famine, global pandemic, endless war and societal collapse that will certainly accompany an increase in the mean temperature of three degrees or more in the next hundred years. Well, I don't like the sound of that. Indeed, you shouldn't. The current occupant seems to accept it as fait accompli. The National Highway Transportation Safety Administration reissued a report to the current occupant's administration written to justify decreasing emission standards on cars, making them pollute more. And it, it acknowledged a 4 degrees Celsius 7 in real temperature rise in global temps by the end of the century because the amount of added pollution would be negligible from the swirling shitstorm of swelter death already going on why should they even bother cutting those emission standards i am not making that up from a post article quote if enacted the administration's proposal would give new life to aging coal plants allow oil and gas operations to release more methane into the atmosphere and prevent new curbs on greenhouse gases using refrigerators and air conditioning units the vehicle rule alone would put eight billion additional tons of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere this century, more than a year's worth of total U.S. emissions, according to the government's own analysis, unquote. Well, yee Let's roll some coal! And I haven't even got to the bad part yet. There was no good news in that. Oh, compared to the U.N. climate change report that was just fucking released, it was Jim Dandy. In a study released early this week, the scientist who studied over 6,000 reports on the climate gave us 12 years to enact not just some change in global emissions, but enact massive, radical change, or we are fucked up beyond all repair. And make no mistake, pod friends, even if by some miracle... And it would be a miracle on par with Jesus Christ showing up, driving a fucking Prius to get there through the thick fucking heads of the right. We would only manage to keep warming under the two degrees Celsius mark. And it was still pretty fucked. But if we go over, indeed, if we go on as we are, we are talking about such a massive effect on the planet that without any hyperbole, it will reduce human civilization into chaos. I mean, we could 
actually meet emissions goals within 12 years. All it would take is a massive investment in renewable energy by both public and private sectors to the tune of $14 trillion. Oh, by the way, that would also create 7 million long-term jobs. So, hey, silver lining. So it's $14 trillion in the United States alone. This is according to Stanford researcher Mark Jacobson, as reported in oilprice.com in 2015. This would reach 100% renewable by 2030. The U.S. is at 14% renewable, maybe a little more since the little neighbors I found were 2015. Needless to say, this is a shitload of money. On top of the money, it requires a national consensus, unwavering political will, and the sort of commitment it took to put a man on the moon. And I don't know if you guys have looked at this country lately. A lot of people are saying that my pessimism about the future is counterproductive. It demoralizes people, leading them towards nihilistically continuing to do nothing. To which I say, how is that any different than what we've been doing this whole fucking time? Show me the difference between admitting how fucked we are and happily saying everything will work out somehow. We just have to have hope. I think the New Republic sums it up best with the answer to this way of thinking, quote, but it's folly to rely on hope that is demonstrably false. The whole idea of everything's going to work out isn't really helpful because it isn't going to work out, said Kate Marvel, a climate scientist at NASA Goddard Institute for Space Studies. Climate change is going to worsen to a point where millions of lives, homes, and species are put at risk, she said. The only thing humans can do is decide how many lives, homes, and species they're willing to lose due to climate change. How long they're willing to allow their respective governments to stall on what we know to be technical achievable. There was this great scene in the movie and the band played on about the AIDS crisis that were put out in the 90s. And this scene sums up where we are and where we are going to go from here. How many people have to die to make it cost efficient for you people to do something about it? A hundred? A thousand? Give us a number so we won't annoy you again until the amount of money you begin spending on lawsuits makes it more profitable for you to save people than to kill them. Because exactly nothing will happen until the price is so high, the effects so blatant, that even the gimpiest Republican politician, the Bible-thumpiest conservative voter, the greediest oil company executives, and even the fuckwits on Fuck's Goddamn News cannot ignore the seawater lapping in the lobby of their Manhattan offices and the crowds of starving, torch-waving pitchfork clinging people calling for their fucking heads outside their door because that time by that time it will be way too late to do anything to the facts of the case and they are undisputed so you know we're pretty much fucked are you guys freaking out yet because if you're not allow me to summarize a live science article from 2008 by 2020 Flash flooding will dramatically increase in Europe and the U.S. In some areas, lack of rainfall will reduce crops by 50%, causing famine. By 2023, diarrhea-related diseases will spike in the poorest nations. 18% of the coral reefs will be dead. World population is at one or is at 8.3 billion and rising. Mountaintop glaciers and equatorial areas will be gone. Urban populations in developing nations double as people flee to cities to find work and food. And the ice in the Arctic will be gone completely over the summer. By 2050, alpine glaciers around the world disappear, starting with the smallest and working up. The coral reefs, they're gone. 400 bird species extinct. 
heat-related deaths spike in the warmer climates and even temperate cities exponentially. Crop yields in Asia and Southeast Asia drop by 20 to 30 percent. The world population will hit 9.4 billion, with resources continuing to shrink, at a quarter of the world's species now face extinction. By 27 to, by 2070, as the glaciers disappear, hydroelectric power starts to fail up to 50% in some areas. Drought and fires are endemic everywhere. By 2080, sea levels are now flooding arable food-producing lands and coastal cities. By that time, coastal populations in the areas under greatest threat could hit as high as 5 billion. 1.3 billion people will face, ironically enough, water shortages, and an estimated 600 million of them will go hungry every day. Also, by 2080, New York City will be three feet underwater. By 2085, tropical diseases spike with 3.5 billion people at risk of dengue fever alone, not to mention other tropical diseases spread into areas where people have limited or no immunity. By 2100, things get really fun. Runaway melt hits the permafrost, spikes the CO2 levels to the highest numbers in 650,000 years. 30% of all species in the world will be extinct. The climate zones we know and love are now moving north and south as the temperate belt shifts towards the pole to lands ill-suited to agriculture, and the oceans are now so acidic and overfished they can no longer support the human population. Most of the southern United States and Mexico are more or less a permanent dust bowl for prolonged or repeated droughts. Forces are burning more or less constantly, and the population is now under permanent threat of famine and disease. And these are just the predictable climate-related impacts. The social, economic, and political impacts are not nearly as predictable, though anyone who's ever seen a Mad Max movie has a pretty fucking good idea. I mean, when you think about it, Chances are, long before the worst-case scenario for climate change hits, the temperature would drop rapidly, really rapidly, because nuclear fallout and ash in the atmosphere would cause a nuclear winter, which admittedly is also, uh, you know, not that great for humanity. Yeah, well, that's an understatement. But what about science, Dave? Surely there must be something that can be done, someone is working on, you know, that can just soak up all that CO2 we put in the atmosphere. You know, like how Spock was always able to recalibrate the phasers to emit a hypertectonic frequency modulation, to emit a narrow band K-beam of positrons, which in theory should destabilize the carbon atoms into the atmosphere and break them from the atmosphere to coalesce in a big-ass floating diamond moon that would give off a fucking killer light show every sunrise and sunset humans make illogical decisions they do indeed you want to know what the best idea people have right now to save the fucking world we get in planes and we fly way up in the sky and we dump these aerosol particles into the atmosphere to reflect some of the sunlight back out into space. This idea would actually work and we have the technology to do it right now, but it's incredibly expensive and what's more, we have no fucking clue whatsoever what other effects it might have in the short or long term. It could be more damaging to do it than the actual fucking CO2 in the atmosphere, but we're reaching the point where more and more people are advocating taking the risk. 
Now, I don't tell you all of this to break you down in order to build you back up with some big presidential pep talk straight out of those 90s disaster movies I mentioned earlier. I repeat, life is not a movie. I tell you this so you can reach the point where I am, dear listener, the point of delirious happiness that comes with the sure and absolute knowledge that in just over a century, this whole fucking disaster we call human civilization will almost certainly be over, and there is little to nothing that can be done to stop it. So when you think about worrying over the latest atrocity to come out in the news or the tweet by the current occupant, just remember that this is all utterly and completely pointless. You might as well get used to the idea we're doomed. So, you know, don't worry. Be happy. Oh, sure, it's possible some miracle technology might come along and scrub the CO2 out of the atmosphere and that those of us fortunate enough to live in the first world can stave off the effects for a few decades longer than those in the developing world for that to have some kind of effect. Hell, it's even possible that a massive movement for social change could just spring up around the world and that ignores our petty differences and comes together as one, all of us human, all of us sharing a common interest in the survival of our species and force our governments to take action to limit the damage done to our planet and preserve it in perpetuity. Well, I can't even say it for those who come. And that in one great voice of all humanity, we say it's enough. Do something, damn it. Surely you're not that naive. Oh, don't worry. (laughs) I'm not. We're fucked. All of us. I mean, like, don't have kids fucked because they might have to eat you someday. I mean, I'll be dead before the worst of the effects really get going. Damn. Looking back on my life, the things that I thought were shitty choices about diet, exercise, drinking, and smoking, those are really going to pay off. I mean, all you fuckers running around eating kale and using your vape are going to be old and useless to the society that is to come. They're going to put you fuckers out in the desert to die by 2060 or 70. I mean, there won't be enough food to feed the kids. You think they're going to waste food feeding your old ass? No, no, man. If I was you, I would start enjoying life while you can and hope you kick off before things get real in a decade or two. Right then, smoke them if you got them. Because it is the end of the fucking human race and a good goddamn thing, too. Ah, I feel so free. That is it for our show this week and for humanity when I think about it. And God, I tell you, I feel good. I mean, for a couple of years now, I've been going around all worried about the future, about the state of our country, about norms and shit. I have wasted my time. Honestly, I blame Obama. What the hell was he thinking coming along and talking about hope and shit when we could have been seriously debauching ourselves for a whole decade knowing the end was about a generation or two away at most? Thanks, Obama. I also don't have to worry about telling you to do things like go out and vote. I mean, you should, I guess, but in the end, it's the same either way. I mean, fuck it. I don't have any kids. I'm a middle-aged white dude who's tried to be a good citizen for decades now. I think I'm just going to go out and get me one of those coal rolling trucks. I would usually tell you to go out and rate and review this show wherever you get your podcast, but really, why bother? I mean, you know, even if the show just made a major leap forward and is now being carried on Spotify, where you can stream episodes anytime by searching for the show name right from the convenience of your air-conditioned home. 
God, you guys are going to miss that when the grid collapses. I used to tell you to follow the show on Twitter at the hell underscore podcast, but it's not much point in doing that. I'm just going to tweet cat memes until the end comes. So enjoy that. Go right ahead. It won't matter in any meaningful way. And I guess if you want, you can listen to the slow decline into anarchy as it happens at the show name on SoundCloud or www.whatthehellpodcast.com. But honestly, you probably should do something meaningful by listening to Mozart or not. It doesn't matter if it's classical music or the fucking Dave Matthews band. You're the fuck the same either way. So for me, Dave... Bring on Oblivion Bledsoe, producer, the end is nigh, Gavin, and all the fictional cannibal mutant zombies that will soon come to occupy the earth on this show. We want to say, well, what other song did you think we were going to end a show like this with? We'll see you all next week. Maybe. for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.